0: welcome to Paperback Readers.
1: I'm Joe, that's Julie, and time to catch up. Uh, I've uh, got a few massive books that I'm still crawling through, but I have a few things to talk about. And you, having not shared your reading log for a while, you've got a blue million, so I'm sure you'll take up the slack.
0: I have, but I'm going to cut it down. I'm not going to talk about every single one. I'll just talk about the ones I like the best.
1: No, for me, I better talk about every single one, or it'll just be your podcast. (laughs) You go. Take off. That won't take long. I did read Patino: My Story by Rick Patino with Seth Seth Kaufman. He said um, it is Patino's book after the NCAA scandals. I had read. Uh, I think they called it The Last Temptation of Rick Patino, which was the the oh my gosh, not his version of events drama. So for seventy five cents, I picked up a used copy of his version, and I really enjoyed the first half of this book because it's more just straight Patino biography and him recounting the parts of his career that I'd like to remember. Um, His thoughts on the scandal are not shockingly very defensive. Uh, I I did learn a few things about his complaints of the whole process, and it was not uninteresting, but the second half just had the effect it does when I looked very deeply at Rick's life by making me sad about all the great things I missed from the first half, which is... Really, where I'd like to leave his story, but anyway, he's back at St. John's, big-time college basketball yet again, and maybe he's learned some things. I certainly hope so.
0: I hope so. I really do.
1: Yeah, it—it's uh, a point for hope. Uh, I read a book by Terry Pluto, who is one of my favorite sports writers, called "False Start: How the New Browns Were Set Up to Fail." Uh, which was about the Cleveland Browns coming back around in Cleveland. I was interested in it because, of course, they chose Tim Couch as their quarterback and proceeded to beat him to death uh, by not getting quality linemen in front of him. And Terry definitely remembered all of that. Uh, It was an interesting story. I'm actually reading another one of his books about the Browns now, but it's about 1964 when uh, the Browns were the champions of the world and were led by Jim Brown, who just passed away, and Blanton Collier, the coach who was fired from the University of Kentucky and won the NFL championship for the Cleveland Browns in his next job.
0: Shocking, truly shocking.
1: Yes, yes, a theme I've been working on as well in my own writing, but I read Chernobyl 012340 by Andrew Leatherbarrow, which is one of these things not quite like all the others about the nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl. Um, The thing that I think made this book interesting Leatherbarrow kind of went back and forth between straight historical narrative about the disaster and his own experience traveling to Chernobyl and seeing all these sites. Oh wow! Uh, which you know, I would say they would let you do now, but Chernobyl is very close to Ukraine. You probably can't do right now, uh, but when they're not in the middle of a war with Ukraine, mm. uh, they they did have it opened up for people to come in and look. And I mean the the Power plant is still operational. People just don't live there. You come in and you leave. And
0: Why would you want to go there?
1: He just found it kind of fascinating. It's uh, not
0: dangerous anymore?
1: Well, that's debatable. Um, well,
0: that's what I was thinking. I, I
1: admit, I looked at the website where they kind of arrange these tours, and they're like, oh, we lead you through the zone where there is the least radioactive material still around, and it's probably safe. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it was an interesting story. My my favorite comment from Leather Barrel was when he talked that uh, he plays Minecraft like someone we know and love.
0: <laughs> and he has
1: built Chernobyl in Minecraft.
0: Oh, my gosh. So,
1: you know, I don't know. It was, it was interesting, probably more as a nerd tourist story than as a story of a nuclear meltdown. But he covers both angles, and that kind of made it a fresh, interesting thing. Oh, 12340, in case you wonder is the time of the day when the engineer who pretty much sealed the fate of Chernobyl made the decision that kind of finished things. He hit the button that
0: mm.
1: was the point of no return. Um, so anyway, different. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Although speaking of different, my other book, I'm counting this even though I read it with Ryan because it was it a fairly counts. long book and we read it for a while and he really enjoyed John Adams, Young Revolutionary by Jan Adkins. Now, these were the books that were in the public library when we were kids and horrible. They'd be like, you know, bright orange and light blue bound biographies of great oh, Americans.
0: Yeah. So I'm looking at the cover that you have there, and I was like, that was not in my public no, library. No, but yeah, I remember the ones you're talking about. They have I reprinted it. it
1: with a new cover. Yeah, it was it was better than I remembered it being. It was an interesting biography that goes to great lengths to kind of give young readers a chance to view what these people were like as children. Some of the language as the books were originally written in like the 1930s is horrifyingly dated, but uh, but the concepts were, were pretty solid, and the information is pretty accurate. Um, we'll probably read some more if he can find anybody else he's as interested in as John Adams. Well, who of course he was, he was for, John Adams for the yeah.
0: wax museum at school. So. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: Our serious little John Adams. So we, we read about uh, the elder John Adams and enjoyed it. And,
0: Excellent.
1: You know, yeah, whether you get it in the horrible looking old binding or yeah, these new ones had blue covers and are kind of unrecognizable. But
0: oh my gosh, I used to check those out multiples at a time, probably. And I know that I read every single one about a woman that my library had. And I read a good deal of the ones about men, usually the presidents. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, fun to share a a part of the olden days, and those books were old when we read them, so they're definitely old now.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, that's the exciting (laughs) list I went down.
0: Okay, well, like I said, I'm just going to hit you the highlights, the things that I liked the best of what I have read over, really, the past month. So, the first one is called The Book of Eating by Adam Platt. Um, This is a food critic for some major newspapers national food critic and he actually wrote about food all over the world it's his memoir he talks about how he grew up as a child and i think a diplomat all over the world and the way that he developed his taste buds from a young age and then he talks about the act of being a critic itself the havoc that it plays on your body on your mind all kinds of things I described this to you, Joe, when I was reading it as being what Bill Bryson would be like if he wrote about food instead of travel. And I think stand- he does a
1: fair amount, yeah. but not as a food critic. No, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I stand by that. It was. Not laugh out loud, like not laugh really hard like we have at some of Bill Bryson's, but it was definitely funny all the way through, and it was interesting, and obviously he's a great food writer, so I enjoyed it all the way through.
1: Yeah, you shared some good parts. It, it seemed fun. <laughs> there I, were
0: some great things.
1: I thought about it myself. We'll see.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, it's still in there. You can read it if you want to.
1: <laughs> Maybe a future shared read. We'll see. <laughs> we'll
0: see. Then I read The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keane. She wrote Ask Again Yes, which was a shared read for us a couple years ago, I guess, mm-hmm. um, on this podcast. I think I probably like Ask Again Yes better, but that does not do anything to diminish this particular book. Um, this one looks at, it's a literary novel, so the, the plot is not the most essential thing, but um, it looks at marriage, again, how do you stay together. Um, it looks at running an independent business. Um, And it looks at personal integrity. What will you do to make your dreams come true? So you've got a couple, one of them is a lawyer. The the wife is a lawyer. The husband runs a bar and um, his bar is failing rapidly. Um, She is obsessed by um, their inability to have a baby so the two dreams that they have are kind of at odds with each other where they each want to spend their money and it, it spreads deeper into their marriage. Um, what do they really want out of life? And it really just was an excellent book. I highly recommend it. Um, then I've got No Two Persons by Erica Bauermeister, which is a book about a book. So you open it up with a young woman who is writing a book out of her blood, sweat, and tears, basically. It's out of the personal tragedy of her life, and then that book is released into the world. And the rest of the book is vignettes that show how this book interacts with other people over the years. Some of them uh, intersect, their stories do. Others don't as much, but it was just a really thoughtful look at the way... um, Once you release a book into the world, as a writer, it doesn't belong to you anymore. And the ways that people take it and understand it, the ways that it speaks into their lives, are often things that you never would have intended or thought of, both for good and for bad. So I really thought it was fascinating and enjoyed it. I read Plenty by Hannah Howard, which is another food book. In this book, she kind of tackles a lot of things. She's another New York City writer um, she was a journalist who has written a couple of books. She looks at women in food because there aren't a lot of them, apparently, who kind of have the big names. And in her time working in food, she kind of wondered why she didn't have many, any more mentors who were women, so she went actively seeking some out. So part of the book is interviews with, time she spent with women in food whom she really admired. Then other parts of it talk about um, her body dysmorphia, where she has struggled with her own body and how to relate to it, especially as you get to the third part of the book when she becomes pregnant. And um, all these things kind of mix. Sometimes I didn't feel like they mixed very well, like she would have a chapter about her changing body and her excitement over pregnancy, and then she'd jump into an interview with a mentor. Um, but on the whole, I thought that they, they actually work together really well and she's a really good writer about food. I stuck with it all the way to the end because she just, she does details and she does food really well.
1: That is an interesting combination. Yes. And a surprise to me. I mean, I recognize that that many of the great chefs are men, which is always a little surprising. Especially New York City,
0: like a lot of the big names and, and the big franchises and the you know, really yeah, fancy but It
1: seems odd that the Good Old Boy Network exists in food as well, but I guess it does.
0: <laughs> yes, yes it does.
1: Well, I mean, they, they wouldn't call it that, but it's yeah. what it is. Uh, yeah, you know. All
0: right, then I read Thank You for Listening by Julia Whelan. She is an audiobook narrator of great renown. Have you ever read anything that she's read?
1: I don't know. I was thinking her name sounded familiar, but then I remembered that's because we've talked about this book. so <laughs> I, I have so many levels that stack on top of each other. I may well have though.
0: Yeah, she's read a lot of things and she's you know gotten a lot of praise and accolades for it. She writes this book about two audiobook narrators who meet under different kinds of circumstances, fall in love, they each have their own separate issues. The female lead, you find out from the first chapter, which, by the way, is one of the best first chapters of a romance novel I've ever read in my life. It's funny. It's poignant. It tells you a lot of the things that you need to know. In an accident, she has lost her uh, one of her eyes, and so she wears a patch. Um, and she refuses to narrate romance at this point in her life. She doesn't believe in it, blah, blah, I blah. I
1: thought you were going to go with, like, she wouldn't narrate pirate books, but
0: anyway. <laughs> okay, that was not cool. <laughs> um and then the guy is a huge romance narrator um but he doesn't really like it and so anyway lots and lots of different things I really liked uh the look into the audiobook industry even though I don't listen to audiobooks I thought that that was really interesting I thought it was very cool that this audiobook narrator could write so well about what she does that's hard to do to write about what you do day in and day out and it was really a good romance too then I read Cooked by Michael Pallon, which I feel like somebody recommended that to me from this podcast, possibly. Because I read a Michael Pollan book a while yeah. ago. Um,
1: and we talked about one of his
0: Yeah. food rules. Yes, yes, yes. This one, he goes through different ways of um, preparing food and talks about like how our processed food industry has kind of changed our attitude toward food. Um, for instance, he spends a lot of time talking about how ready-made meals were advertised as being a way to break down the patriarchy, get women out of the cage of the kitchen that they've been stuck in, when as it turns out, many women did not feel they were in a cage in the kitchen. It's a creativity place. It's a, um, a place where they, they take care of real needs and they get to play. Um, but we're made to feel like we don't have enough time to cook When a lot of times making those prepackaged meals takes more time than actually cooking a real and tasty meal. So he looks at a lot of different things in this book that um, gave me a lot to think about in the way that we approach food. And also kind of made me feel very hopeless (laughs) (laughs) about what am I supposed to do about this? Because
1: everything's processed.
0: Yeah, Yeah. um, because everything is so heavily processed. But the good thing that I brought out of this book is that I want to go back this summer and I want to try to make some bread. I also was interested in his chapter about fermenting. My grandmother and great grandmother and my mom used to make their own pickles. Mm-hmm. Used to make their own uh, sauerkraut. I hate sauerkraut, but you I know love sauerkraut. Yeah. Um. And I, I, there's no reason that I can't do some of those things.
1: Amen. <laughs> sauerkraut, it is.
0: And and I don't want to lose the that kind of knowledge that's there in my family. So maybe going back and looking at making more of these things. No, you,
1: you, your grandmother. Passed away not long ago, and and one of the profound uh, achievements of my life. I'm just going to throw this out there: was that you were doing some. I don't remember if it was a class. I think it was just a professional thing. It was in the a professional summer, thing, yeah. And you had to master some kind of process, and you came home and told me about it. And all these people were learning to play an instrument or speak a language, and you can't learn that quickly. And I said, "Learn how your grandma makes fried chicken," and you said. Well, I guess I could do that, yeah. and you did, and, and she's gone now. And, and I'm was, so grateful that we have that, not memory, just because I like yeah. to eat the chicken. <laughs> it's a
0: memory I really treasure, and it truly is the best fried chicken. It is. That's ever been. Um, so there, there's just all this knowledge that I don't want to lose, and then nobody in my family really like bakes bread, but I want to do that too. Um, a lot of these things that are kind of elemental and would be better and fresh done by hand so. you
1: know john lennon loved to bake bread that was part of his last years of his life that was one of his big things he he stayed home he watched his little boy grow and he learned to make bread and he was very proud of
0: it and that's the me. other reason to do it to be like john lennon No, so, well, i don't you know guess. if i'd go that far but <laughs> all right the last one i'm going to talk about before i shared read is called if we're being honest by cat shook Um, And this one is a family drama. I really like a family drama sometimes, as long as it's not just lunacy. Um, And this one wasn't. It was heartwarming. It was a family who has come together. The grandfather has died. He leaves a wife. He leaves um, three adult children and then four adult grandchildren behind. And at his funeral, a secret about him is revealed that kind of shakes everybody and causes them to look at their, at each other, at their family relationships, and what they believe is important in new ways. Uh, the writing was excellent. The story was just really fun to follow. I loved all of these characters. It was a really, really good book.
1: I would also add that when you got it from the library, the title it had, The Sea and Cat Shook, covered. So I looked at it and saw, If We're, if we're Really being, if we're honest, being Honest at Shook. Which also, I think, isn't going to be the title of my next novel. So Well, I knew that in. you
0: were going to mention that, and that's why when I said the title, <laughs> I just paused. I thought you would do it right well, there. Oh, I'm but... sorry
1: to let you down for a couple <laughs> minutes, but I came through in the end. Let it be noted.
0: <clears throat> okay, so this brings us to our shared read, which is called Stars of Alabama by Sean Dietrich.
1: A novel I'd read a while back, we talked about Sean.
0: Oh, we love him. In the
1: context of his nonfiction writing, and I check this out as one of his novels and there's a lot going on here it's it's depression era south and you get this cornucopia of strange characters and by the end of the novel sean ties them all together in ways that some are fairly obvious and some you never see until the second they happen Mm -hmm. um there's an odd mysticism in Sean's writing. It's it's present in his nonfiction writing as well as his fiction writing, the way that people and times and places pile on top of each other in ways that seem completely and utterly haphazard until the second when they don't seem that way. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that in this book. It at times echoed Kent Plain Song, which is a novel that I really love, Um you you could find some little pieces of William Faulkner. You could find some little pieces of Flannery O'Connor. I'm not sure that I like this any better than I like his nonfiction. In fact, I probably don't. But his novel was interesting to me. He he did something that at first I thought, I don't know if I'm going to really enjoy this. And the longer I went into it, the more that I started to see the cords that tied everybody together and and to see the the beauty in that.
0: Yeah, I was the same way. I told you several times in the beginning few chapters. Chapters are really short, by the way, which is a good thing for moving on through a book, that I just really wasn't sure I was going to like it. It was very brutal at parts. There's a lot of violence. um, There's a lot of just sadness all through it. But you told me to stick with it because you said... uh, Every time you think you need to give up, you're going to find grace in there. And you were right.
1: Yeah, that that really, I think, is the theme that runs through all of his writing, whatever it is. And this one's no different. Um, I think the character who stuck with me the most was the young girl who has become a mother early in the book and through bizarre circumstances physically loses her child. And... She has such a bizarre (laughs) run of events and circumstances, but she ultimately changes the world that she lives in in some pretty intense and profound ways. I really, by the end of the book, I felt kind of like I knew her, and uh, she's she's Marigold is the, the character who just stuck with me as perhaps representative of this novel, which will drag you through some places you'd rather not be and some some things that are really profoundly sad or hurtful, but in the end is going to bring you out uh, at a place nobody would have anticipated.
0: My favorites were Paul and Vern and then Pete. Yeah. Um, and Paul and Vern are together, they're their best friends. They're together for the whole story. Pete comes in a third of the way through or so yeah. as a child. And this follows them through a lifetime really the children in this book you see them grow up and what happens to them because of the people that they have known um it just does such a beautiful job of showing how we take care of each other or fail to and then the ways that that has repercussions beyond what we could have imagined
1: yeah so you know it's not as easy to read as is nonfiction. For no. many, I don't know that it will be as rewarding of a read. But but if you're tuned the right way, it's a book that will grab you pretty hard. And uh, I'm certainly glad I read it.
0: Well, I think that your comparisons to Faulkner and O'Connor were are apt here. So if, if those are authors that you enjoy, this is one that's worth picking up.
1: Yeah. So Sean Dietrich, who we... Greatly admire and enjoy, and the book was Stars of Alabama, which was his novel, unlike his nonfiction stuff, which we loved dearly. And sadly, I, he did not do that author thing where you put the titles in the front. Or I would tell you what those books were. But Will the Circle Be Unbroken was the uh, memoir. But then we read the other one about him. Following his wife around on a bicycle, (laughs) Bicycle. yes.
0: Yeah, that one we've highlighted. You can flip back through these podcast episodes and see. I think that one was a shared read for us. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're taking a different direction. In our next shared read in two weeks, we are going to be discussing All My Knotted Up Life by Beth Moore, which is her memoir of her whole life. I am 72% (laughs) done with it right now, my Kindle says. Um, and you haven't started it yet. You're going to listen to it on audiobook. I am betting she reads it herself.
1: I'm going to actually check on that as we discuss it. But yeah, I'm... I'm.
0: It's a departure for us because I've done several Beth Moore Bible studies. As you know, you, you grow up in church in the South as a woman. You don't avoid those. And they're very, very good. Yeah. But you um, have really only known her from Twitter and from um, the controversies that she's been in over leaving the Southern Baptist Convention over the past few years.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm interested to to see what she has to say um, in this day and age. uh, It's less about whether I agree with you about everything you think than whether I I appreciate the the humanity and the thought that goes into your position, even if I wouldn't agree with it. And she's always been there with that. She's pretty on the mark. And, uh, yeah, she does indeed read it. So... I'm sure that'll be a nice bonus. But yeah, you—you, you, so I'm reading that. And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to read that, so why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you. If you have read anything that we've talked about today, if you have any thoughts about um, the Beth Moore book we're going to be talking about next week, or next time, sorry. Um, please let us know. You can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at paperbackreaderspod.
1: Hope you're having a good summer and whatever else it involves. For goodness sake, keep reading. Take care.